You're listening to The Witch Wife, a podcast about the poet Edna St. Vincent Millay, and I'm Samantha Mosca. This week's episode is another interview episode. I talked to a good friend of mine and former peer at university, Keely Middleton. She is a published poet who is going on to get her master's in poetry. We had a really, really great conversation. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot, and I am already digging up excuses to get her back on the show. My mind is already running about potentially starting another podcast where I just talk with artists and poets. So, Uh, Keely doesn't know much about Malay. She's a lot more into contemporary poetry, which we get into on the podcast, but her opinions are invaluable. I really just dug her answers. So I hope that you listen and I hope that you find it interesting and you gain some insight into poets and poetry alike. I'm with Keely Middleton. A poet and friend of mine from Cambridge. Hi, Keely. Hello, Sam. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Sweet, sweet. I've got some coffee. All good. That's good. Good way to start the day. So, um, I have you on the show today to talk about poetry. Um, Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. It's one of my favorite topics. Um, <laughs> it really is mine as well, so. When did you when did you start writing poetry? Um, pretty much when we started in first year. Um, Tiffany Angus, um, our lecturer for imaginative writing, she she got us to do a few few poems, and ever since then it's just sort of stuck, really. Seriously, so like four years ago, he started writing. Yeah, yeah, pretty much like four years ago. Um, I think being around so many talented people in in our creative writing course really really propelled me to sort of push myself into into poetry so well that's fucking insane you write really well I wouldn't have I would have imagined it was something that you'd been doing for a long time thanks um I used to be more of um more of a fiction writer like um when I was quite young I used to like write like (laughs) like full-blown novels about like um like magical realism sort of stuff and then and then I'd always try and do stories and never actually finish them um, God, I actually wrote a story when I was like nine called Bone Cruncher and um <laughs> it got, got photocopied for the whole class and um it was really good about a rhinoceros that was um evil <laughs> yeah kind of left kind of left the fiction for now but um, I, I still enjoy writing it but poetry right now is my vocation so yeah no I um yeah a lot of the fiction that I ever finished when I was younger, was um, fan fiction. Basically stuck with that. Yay. Not even, not even like TV show fan fiction, like celebrity fan fiction. Oh, and, don't even worry. Like my favorite <laughs> fan fiction is about um, uh, Jesse Eisenberg and Andrew Garfield from The Social Network. Oh my goodness. It's, I have to send it to you. It's the most amazingly written fan fiction ever. So. Oh, I'm excited. I do not. No, it's really, really good. Did you ever read the um, Methods of Rationality? The that Har- rings a bell. Is that a Harry Potter one? Yeah, yeah. That's like if you look up the term... That rings a bell. If you even like look up Rationality, it's the first thing that comes up on Google. It's insane. No. Yeah, and it's oh, really, wow. really good. It's like if Harry Potter was like super rational and very smart, like clearly he goes to <laughs> Ravenclaw and he hates Ron... <laughs> And Draco's like his best friend. Oh. It's really good. <laughs> oh wow, that's what it, it was on my list to what uh, to read. But um, okay, now I know what it is. Okay, yeah. we've got some recommendations going on. It's good. Yeah, some fan fiction recommendation. I think <laughs> a highbrow. Yeah, very very exclusive. This literary podcast oh. does yeah. much to. We're uh, just the we're the finer things club from the office yeah you can always count on this podcast to recommend very classy things to people so oh really mm, yeah are we like are we like the vogue of, of poetry yeah 
in in the the Meryl Street. Except without the popularity, the money, or uh, (laughs) (laughs) or the fashion, just the snobbery, or the staff. It's really just me and uh, (laughs) recommending fan fiction. That's what it is. Oh man. So as far as uh, publishing goes, have you, you've published before, right? Um, yeah, I was published, I've been publishing a few sort of um, online um, anthologies. And then um, the last two years, um, I was published in the OU anthology. But um, that's it really for me. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed the, the AOU anthology so because getting to see all the, all the work that came out of there was just, insane like you had philip on the podcast last week yeah his work in in the first one was fantastic um yeah so it's really cool yeah yeah i um that's awesome i'm so proud of both of you i for the for the audience listening i went to uni with both of them i took writing classes with both of you um both philip and keely now um and it's cool. It's really cool to see you guys uh, doing things and publishing and being successful and getting your voice heard. It's really nice to see like like-minded people doing well that you admire. Like seeing um when you started doing your blog and seeing seeing the sort of um, success you were getting with it. That kind of like spurred me on to my own poetry blog. So it's nice to see other people succeeding and. It's nice when you know them as well, because you feel a bit like, yay. Yeah. Yeah, I have the same the same feeling. I get the warm fuzzies. Yeah, the warm fuzzies. Exactly. Um, so, poetry for me, sort of, I've been writing poetry forever. I started writing poems, uh, I think I was like seven. The moment I could write, if I could, I could put a s- string of words together, I was writing poetry. I guess seven feels pretty late. Um, it's maybe like five <laughs> I'm thinking about it. Uh, but when I, as soon as I could write, I was writing poetry. My uh, mom had this poem on that was made into a magnet on her fridge my entire life of a poem that was like, I could probably recite it. I think it's like, mom, mom, beautiful mom, wonderful mom. I think that was it. <laughs> Oh. But, like, it's just an ancient, <laughs> ancient poem of mine. And uh, it's been something I've been... Yeah, no, really good. Again, high-quality work. Uh, but I... Like, the, it, it was a an outlet for me as a teenager. I talked to Philip a little about, about it, like, being angsty and um, always in love, too. I was always in love with somebody. Oh, completely, completely feeds into that, doesn't it? That romanticism. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like you're writing, your ink is the blood from your heart. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, yes, yes. So that was... Actually, you reminded me, um, there was a poem I did write when I was quite young, and it was about um, being given given flowers and then finding out in the last, like, line that you're all plastic. It was very, um, it was very dark and brooding and completely cliched and embarrassing so I think we all have that horrible stage in teenage years of you have to go towards poetry at one point and you, you always write something completely revolting yeah you have to move through cliches to find something original I mean I I still have to scour my work for cliches all the time I think you can I think as well being being a good writer is knowing when you when you can use them and and when you can um when you should probably get rid of them. Because I think sometimes trying to get rid of everything on the page that's cliched, it leaves you with is and or, but you know, you don't really have anything left, like everything's a cliche at the end of the day. It's just how you, how you interpret it and um, making sure you don't go for the, it was all a dream, I suppose. Yeah, and I think, I had, did you have Karen Freeborn um, at all? Yes, yeah, no, her feedback was really, really fantastic on work, and I I hear her voice a lot. I had her for a semester, um, to which I don't think my attendance was perfect, as my attendance was basically terrible my entire run at university. 
but I can still hear her voice like with things like, oh, be specific. Like that's mm, big. What does that yeah. mean? She annotated that a lot on me as well, actually. She's yeah. like, your heart, I mean, I didn't, this isn't an actual line, thank God, but like, oh, your heart is darkness. What does that even mean? That doesn't mean anything. You're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Karen. That does sound like Karen. She was my, um, she was my dissertation tutor for, um, for the, for the dissertation, so oh, she's wonderful. pretty much entwined in my, um, in my poetry with, like you said, how how in your head you hear almost what she'd say in response. Yeah, yeah, she's just an amazing, she's just really good. Um, I had talked to Philip about her because we were talking about performing and about how she had sort of said that, like, performance poetry isn't really poetry. Mm. Um, like, slam poetry isn't really poetry. Poetry needs to, like, look like something on the page to be something on the page. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you feel about that? I feel like I can definitely see why she said it because poetry, first and foremost, was was more written for the page than like oratorical ones. But I think, in regards to her saying about the slam poetry, I think it's because it just uses a complete different lexus. I mean, I saw the other day um, there was um, a clip of a of um, a sign. I don't know how an, an ASL speaker sign language. She, she spoke yeah. sign language. And seeing her perform her slam poetry was insane it was like she was using obviously her like paralinguistics to sort of use as lex i don't know but it was crazy like see, seeing that really showed me like the difference between like truly performative poetry and like written poetry yeah i remember for her, you for her it was it. completely more of a performance rather than poetry yeah it's like almost like like dance or something like the movement because yeah. it has specific meaning it is its own existence outside yeah, of the yeah, words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it's definitely becoming more relevant um, in like our sort of culture as well. I, I, I wonder if people would would find it almost like an insult if if we were to say it isn't poetry, because yeah, at the end of the day, it is a poem you've written and performed. But I think I think it's slowly becoming something more different. I think it's becoming less of a niche and more of a separate. Um, solid thing that's with poetry but almost other as well yeah I can see that I I definitely um, I definitely feel like you're onto something there for sure I I performed only very little I had I still have aspirations to performing and I would followed uh, a lot of slam poets when I was younger and went to a lot of performances um, but you've done open mics. I've been there when you've read. You've got a great reading voice. Oh, do I? <laughs> <laughs> when I hear it back, I just sound terrible. So I'll yeah. definitely laugh up that compliment. Well, you gotta you gotta just start a podcast where you have to listen to your voice a lot every week, and then you don't care anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm excited. I think you're onto something. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. People are like, "Oh, you've got a good podcast voice." I'm like, "Cool," because I hate it. But I don't care anymore. Yeah, you lap that up. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so with performing, um, what do you, when you think about performing your poetry, do you, do you think of the open mics as performing or just reading? Um, I think having an acting background, like I used to do a lot of plays and um, shows and pantomime sort of stuff when I was a teenager. So I definitely know sort of the performing part of it, but for me, for me, um, I think being being a confessional poet as well, it's sort of I think it's definitely in between more of a reading. I mean, for me, because with with my confessional poetry, it's all about being as authentic to the to what I was trying to say when I first wrote it. So part of that for me is like not drafting it um, and not really changing the form unless I'm trying to submit it to something. But especially when reading it to other people in like a performance setting, I try not to be as I try not to be as performative as I can. But inevitably, you know, when when you're up there and you've had experience with acting and you enjoy it, it almost comes comes through naturally to sort of sell your piece. Yeah. But I definitely try not to. Um, I definitely see it more as a reading, or I, I try to make it more of a reading if possible. 
Yeah, I can, uh, I like that. That was a good answer. Um, <laughs> what's a weird thing to say? You're not like a, I'm not like, good dog. No, I was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting. I like the, I like what you've said about it because I think, like, I have, uh, I have an acting background as well. I did act for many years and I, when I, I guess I, I do perform, but in the sense that I try to, I'm such an actor. I try to like evoke the emotions that I had when I wrote it. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I don't want to fist it, but yeah, but have like a sort of almost like a method poetry reading. Method poetry reading. Yeah. Oh, good goodness, that's. If I was if I was at all inclined, I'd definitely do like an interpretive dance as well, but just to get everyone in the in the mood of when it was first written down. <laughs> I don't, think I, have, I don't think I have a body for, for dancing. I have a face for radio, but not, not a body for dancing. Oh, so self-deprecating. I think... I know. <laughs> you're, so, you're so British. I know. Uh, it's, it's how we do it. We don't even see it as deprecating. Um, I was going to say deprecating. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit. Um, <laughs> well, shit, indeed. No, I don't know. We just do it, don't we? We just say it and don't even know. Yeah, because I don't, I don't agree. Although, like, I see you sort of performing in a silly way rather than a serious interpretive dance. Yeah, yeah. Because you can get away with performing when you're silly, but if you do it seriously, you can't back out, can you? Yeah, that sincerity makes everybody uncomfortable. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't mind being sincere, but when it's in front of lots of people, it's like, oh dear, they're going to know I'm nice. <laughs> I can't, I can't no, see, isn't that interesting how it relates to the poetry? Because you sort of yeah, have yeah. access to poetry in a sincere way in front of large groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's so raw as well. Like, especially when it's when you've not drafted it as well. It, it literally is um, your thought processes, which at times can be very um, distressing to hear, I guess, especially if you're um, reading about the blood and your ink and all yeah. that kind of jazz. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I always get really nervous, but what I, I find what ends up happening is that... Um, I, I generally think my my poetry is pretty good. I have a weird I have a weird thing where I'm not particularly self-conscious about the quality of my work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like I kind of feel like I'm like the bad guy in a poetry movie, which sounds very boring. Um, <laughs> like I'm I'm like the one who goes up. I'm like why do, why why don't people why don't more people see how good this is? I don't understand. Why would you be the bad guy? Because that's like such an egotistical oh, attitude, or like I don't know. I think you almost have to with any with any creative writing. You you've got to almost fake it till you make it. It's good that you and I have a, at least a confidence in the quality of it itself. I know I know that like I don't see my my work as like oh you know like it's amazing looking, but I definitely have a have a good faith in, in the quality of it at least um, but definitely get, getting through this this, um, this world when you're, when you're wanting to create something um, and have to push past people in a way to get to get there to the, to the finish line you almost do have to have a bit of ego and I'm sure they'll chip at, they'll chip it away from you anyway at some point it's it's not um, it's not an easy business trying to um, yeah. create it right and pet, like live off it as well. No, I think uh, egos are meant to be chipped away at. And I talked with Philip about rejection. I just get, I've on, I've only been rejected. I I I've been published once, and this is this is a funny story, or I think it's really funny. I was published. I got third place in a contest at a community college. So, for. British listeners, if you don't know what a community college is, it's like a technical school. It's like not, you go to community college to like take like A-levels, maths and English and stuff to go to a large uh, okay. university, like, or you go there to get like a, an associate's degree or certification or technical school. Like it's not, it's not impressive. So <laughs> I got third place in a poetry contest at a community college. 
Well, well done you. Yeah, yeah. Any any success is success. So. No, that's true. That was that was years ago, but I did find it amusing, and the other poetry was good. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Even now, it's like you you've gone on a journey with it, and you've done even more wonderful work. So. Yeah, I actually won the contest with a poem I had written, like, six years previous. Right. So, it wasn't even, like, newer. Where I had submitted, like, six poems, and, um... That one got it. Yeah, I was like, oh, this teenage poem, because I was, like, 22. Might have been 21, and I think it was with a poem I wrote when I was 15 that won. And, uh, yeah, there was a lot of, like, components that make that kind of a funny... A funny thing, oh but that's the that's the that's the only time I have been published, and I I get the rejection, the rejection letters. I've been rejected for short fiction and uh, poetry. I've paid to send my poetry in, uh, which I guess you're not supposed to mm. do, according. Well, that's what Philip says. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I just think Philip needs to piss off. To be honest, so no. Um, I usually submit the ones that are paid because. Usually they have there's more there's more prestige to them just from what I've seen on like when applying for them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Rejections rejections always gonna be hard, especially when it's especially when it's creative writing and you know it's gonna be your baby and you know you've cultivated it and everything. So but rejection it's, it's meant I'm Ben um, my friend Ben wrote on um, online a while ago that um, if you if you submit a hundred times and you get rejected ninety-nine times, you know, it's sometimes it's it, you've got to approach it as um more numerically and just sort of throw out as many things as you can and be a bit more clinical about um about sending it off rather than um you know that image of waiting by the post box <laughs> for a reply. Yeah, just sort of being a bit more sort of um almost like hardening yourself up to it, like sending a lot out but being very um. Stoic. Philip, yeah. Philip had said stoic. Being stoic was useful in that process. Yeah, definitely. I I just take it so personally, which doesn't mean I'm not going to. This year, I plan on uh, pushing pretty hard for publication. But um, how do you how do you handle that? How do you handle rejections? Um, I mean, this last year, I've not really had the chance to with with working and commuting as well. Like it's not been easy with, with writing creatively but um with the rejection part from when I've submitted before um yeah it definitely takes you a few days to sort of brush it off but I always find myself um channeling that into into writing something even better but um I still find all the poems that I submit and don't really get like um a home in, in the publication I still go back to them and think no like I'm really proud of you, my baby. Like, yeah. Um, I'm always gonna keep them as my my cherry pick sort of prize potatoes. <laughs> I like that, and I think that that's good. You know, I I like I don't like abandoning work or anything like that. You know, exactly. Or feeling that like just because it didn't fit with something. I, I can I can find my own way to hating my work. I don't need oh, yeah, so I don't need to take someone else's word, yeah. Yeah, completely. It'll take me like a day and I'm like, burn it. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, definitely. When even when rejection comes your way, if you if you've got enough awareness of your of your work and you know that it's good, then keep it, keep it close. Don't change a thing. Because the minute you start changing one thing, you change, you know, you change the whole integrity of the poem once you, once you start editing, you can't stop. Oh my goodness, thank you for saying that. I've always been, I had to adjust pretty hard. It's one of my, actually one of my kind of pet peeves about working in workshops, which I know that everybody who yeah, taught us yeah, is yeah, such yeah. a fucking proponent of, but... I, I hated it. I hated the workshopping. I felt like everybody was really nice question mark but their their um I my advice I got just never really actually helped unless it was from like um one of the one of the lecturers like um I remember being in a poetry one and they kept saying why haven't you used capital letters or full stops 
and I just felt like I needed a camera from the office to stare into. Like, <laughs> I just, and then you have to go, well, it's not my class and I'm not going to be teaching you this, but poetry, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to, you know, follow all these rules. Maybe, you know, um, no, so the workshops for me were a bit unconstructive. Yeah, I had, uh, I had work that I would bring in that I would take the advice and change and then it would just turn into something like I don't recognize I don't really yeah like. it wasn't really about like it wasn't your work after then because it wasn't it takes away all the sparkle and it's just their bones yeah and it's and I felt like I had a poem that were the uh, I had a poem that was just completely misunderstood in a workshop and it mm-hmm. like to the point where I was just angry and I'm like yeah, yeah. everybody was like you know we like it, but it sounds like this. So if you want it to mean something else, you have to adjust. And I was like, no, you can think whatever you want to think. I don't want to change yeah. my poem because you guys think something else. It's not... <laughs> yeah, this is this is the thing I found difficult with workshops. Is maybe because as well, not everyone's passion particularly was poetry. And when you're read up on something and they're almost in, they're really encouraged to tell you, you know, they have... Like, in some classes, they're like, right, you've got to say one thing. Everyone's got to say one thing about your, your work. So, to some degree, I, I understand. But then it, it's very confusing as, like, a budding sort of poet when these workshops come around and you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm either compromising my, my mark for the year, I don't take any criticism, or I'm compromising the actual poem, and I, I care about them both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, like, I think the goal is that, Ultimately, you'll be workshopping with, like, other people of caliber or of your own yeah, caliber yeah. rather than, like, an intro class or even a third yeah. year class where people still aren't, they're filling up uh, exactly, they're filling the up curriculum. The yeah. yeah. So maybe that's what it's for, but that's also, like, if, I, if I'm if i with other poets, if I'm sitting in a room with you and I read you a poem and you're like, yeah, that's that's good, but you might think about this, this, I'd be like, ah, fuck you, you don't get it. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> to some degree it could just be ego we could have had you could have had an entire class of amazing workshoppers and you'd still be like eh, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so I'm not I haven't always been a fan I see how they work for a lot of people I uh-huh. I don't know if uh, I mean like I'm not I'm not above other people in that regard like it's not a hierarchical difference when I say this that I feel different that the way that even when I write academically like I do go back and edit but in large part like what comes to me comes to me and that's what I want to stick with I very much have the the first thing I write is very much finished it's just that like say with like you said academic writing obviously you can add a few points and you hear Karen saying what does this mean expand but for the large part, when I write stuff, it's almost already there, which is why with the drafting, I don't really feel the need to to um, keep adding adding to it. Yeah, I'm of that well, mind. I just feel like adding drafts is like stoning things with like diamante. It's like, <laughs> you know, is it necessary? Like, are you are you not getting your point across, or are you just trying to to fluff it up? I think it just depends. I think it's just like it can so depend on the poet and the author. Like, I was thinking about, I know you don't, you don't know much about Malay, and I'm not really even trying to segue into talking about her very much. <laughs> it would have been a good segue. Though. Oh, yes, no, but, but she edited furiously. <laughs> she did. She was, like, it was a constant thing. She was always editing her work. She wanted to present a perfect work before she published, so uh, she had lots of different versions of things, and... Um, I, I admire that. I admire that in any in anybody because it's almost like expelling demons for me, not just poetry but even fiction where I write it out and then I'm done because I can't like there's a, I'm like there's nothing to be done with this. I can't approach this anymore. There's I can't draw any more out of this this work. It's almost like you you've tapped that creative well and I definitely see what you mean about expelling demons. But I think every time every time I finish something and I'm proud of it, it's almost like a you know, it's a, it's a fuck you to people. But it's um 
yeah, it's food for the soul when um, when you when you complete something. Definitely an expelling of demons. Yeah, I mean that's a different, like it's almost a different topic. So, uh, you know, for me, like there were times that it's like expelling demons. Uh, it's certainly at my most um, upset or angsty. I write a lot more. Completely, absolutely. Uh, every time, every time. <laughs> every time something goes downhill, I've got, like, 20 colors. Yeah, which is... I, Philip and I talked about this, too, about how sort of, like, happiness doesn't breed the need no, to say anything. Like, you can completely. be happy and silent. <laughs> yeah. I think pretty much poetry is just us moaning, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> none of us write it when we're happy. We just we just want a good moan, really, don't we? Yeah, good thing that, like, uh, suffering is not in short supply in the world. <laughs> Thank God. It's on tap. <laughs> it's on tap. We just have this, like, poetry about happiness, and it would just be unbearable. No one would read it, Sam. No one would read it. They'd no. just be like... Everybody but would be too happy. happy. <laughs> <laughs> we all know readers just want to read how fucked up other people are so they can feel better. So. Yeah, misery loves company and all that. Exactly, exactly. So what does poetry do for you? Is that is that part of what it does for you? Definitely. Um, I think during writing my dissertation, um, my dissertation was poetry, um, like a collection from when I went to hike in Alaska. And during during it, I just sort of mentally sort of unraveled. And um, doing doing the dissertation as well as counselling at the same time after after my journey, it really sort of not only it helped me like deal with the actual journey itself, but it went all the way back to like trauma when I was younger. It went back to like a near death experience, like on the trip. And I think not only. Not only realizing through the counseling that the poetry was the thing that was really helping me, which was um, bringing all these things to light and letting me sort of speak about them in this really free space. Um, definitely, it was it's completely a, a healing thing for me. Definitely, with it being confessional poetry as well, it is very egotistically all about me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my um, favorite things. So, what? professional and oh well just have being all about me any any time I can make anything about me it's great oh yeah literally we just segue it's 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 the best thing it's so nice to be able to write about yourself and and you know that when you write you're writing about yourself it's not like in a conversation where you have to almost make it not sound like you this like writing it poetry about yourself is confoundingly true well to some degree it's you know who knows what you're about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, there's the, the question of, like, the role of the author or poet in the poem and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because we can't, we can't count that. I mean, I guess there's just some people who can write from a place that isn't related to them at all. I don't know how they do it. I mean, <laughs> most of my favorite poets are, like, a, a weird mix of in-between in professional and normal poetry, but... For now, for me, uh, it's definitely helping with healing and revealing things about my subconscious and all this sort of stuff. So I'm definitely sticking with profession. That's really good. And speaking of some of your favorite poets, so um, who are they? My absolute favorite is Louise Gluck. Um, I recently got this massive tome of hers to read, and I've just been hooked ever since. She's she's fantastic. Um, definitely have a read of her if you're into um confessional poets like Adrian Rich or um, that sort of vein of uh, Jeanette Winterson sort of thing. Oh, that's, um, that's awesome. She's really, she's, yeah, she's, she really, every poem you need to put like a sticky note over and bookmark her. Yeah, she's but I really love um, Sam Sachs. He's, um, he's actually a spoken word poet, but seeing, I had a poetry subscription from Chicago and I saw, um, he had one about, um, I think it was about prep or PRP or I don't, I'm not sure how to say it, but that just blew me away. Um, Ocean Vuong, I read his book the other month, and yeah, his control of his language was just like so jarring. I don't know. Um, and then recently, Jean Anne Bailey, 
um, she's had a spoken poet, but I love her book about um, called the, uh, the Manic to the Muse, which is fantastic. And who else? Uh, Melissa, Melissa Lee Horton. Her book, Sunshine's inspired so many like poems in response to hers, which is pretty impressive. That's awesome. That's a that's a good list. I'm gonna um, have to type some of those out if you wanna shoot me some of those names and I can add them uh, to the info on the podcast so people can look them up. I will I will talk to Blue in the face about these, but I'll just keep it I'll keep it free. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, and then Adrian, did you know Adrian Rich? Uh, there's a couple academic papers written about how uh, Malay is a huge inspiration to her. You did segue about Edmund. You did. You did it. I did it. I know. I'm just really good at relating anything. That's how obsessions work. They just, they can weasel into anything. But I did, I did just want to say that. I did recognize a couple of the names, but Adrian Rich was one that I was just like immediately like, oh, I've read about, I've read her work in relation to Malay. Uh, But I like her a lot. She's very good. And Anne Sexton as well. Anne Sexton, yeah, yeah. Um, but I do need to read more, I guess, more contemporary poets. I get really wrapped up in, uh, older poets, obviously. And, I'm uh, much more of, um, I'm much more of a contemporary snob, thing. Oh, that's great. That's great. I've got a bunch of contemporary poetry books that I need to crack open. Um, I'm... I love I love poetry. I love all all of it. I just get wrapped up in older poetry. I think the old books have those that smell, and I can't that smell. Yeah, that old book smell, and I'm like, okay, all right, I'll read you. I find it really hard to um, connect to older older poets. That's understandable. I used to, I actually used to be like that, um, which is why I was really into like uh, underground hip hop. I guess it's not so underground anymore when I was a teenager. <laughs> Sorry, I was not expecting you to say that, literally. Yeah. You could have said a thousand of them. <laughs> wow. Underground hip <laughs> Yeah, actually, that's funny. I have a tattoo of lyrics from a song by Atmosphere. Well, they're did. not so underground anymore, though. <laughs> wow. But that really does say a lot about you, you know. Yeah, I'm a weirdo. I'm, I'm yeah, eclectic. Yeah. But that was like, that was where I looked for poetry uh, when I was probably from like 13 to 23, I think. Really, I was just looking at at artists and lyrics, um, songs and spoken word, pretty, yeah. pretty contemporary stuff. You get the mix of it, I suppose, in, in, um, in underground hip hop. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I really like how you say that. <laughs> there's a certain amount of like you can't avoid it because of your accent there's a certain amount of condescension it's really wonderful oh no I'm sorry no 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 I knew it wasn't you it's just your your act it's just perfect um oh, no. it's not it's awful I can hear it now and I'm, I'm already cringing <laughs> so um all these poets uh are important to you and you you like contemporary poetry what do you yeah. Um, what sort of important things do you see happening in contemporary poetry? Like, do you see poetry changing or? Um, with, with the, with the really contemporary poets, um, like in the last few years, such as, um, Melissa Lee Horton or say, um, Jeanne Valley, there's definitely an openness towards, um, non-romanticism, which I'm, I'm really in love with, ironically because I heavily romanticise everything. So seeing it done so well, um, definitely Melissa Lee Horton has done, you ever see Sunshine, haven't we? Um, just this sort of um, romanticism towards, like, life, you know? Um, definitely, like, mental health and like, sex and relationships. Seeing, seeing almost a reverse of postmodernism, like, they're saying, you know... Um, it's almost like it, do you know how like when with fashion, like clothes, you know, they go through the cycle of like, oh, now we're, we're fancy the 40s, now we, now the new thing for the 70s. Yeah. It's almost like, I, you can almost sense with them, the poets nowadays that we're going back towards 
um, perhaps maybe like a, like a lack of romanticism and a, an openness. And I think that's a good thing. Like the poetry nowadays about definitely about like relationships and sex and mental health, you definitely feel a lot more able to connect with it because of the lack of rose-tinted glasses that you have with some of the poetry that I felt came out 10 or 10 or 15 years ago, which is what I used to read, which is very, it definitely felt like they've been on fiction press, the um, sister site to uh, to fan fiction. Yeah, Um, so with the term, like, with, like, um, sort of, like, de-romanticizing or, like, separating from the romantic view of all of this, I want to ask you more about um, what that means to you, because what I'm envisioning or imagining is more of something that's like stark or real that's less um ideal like idolizing idealistic of those things i mean i I would say the best example that i've read recently is um melissa lee horton's um her her work's very dense in terms of the poems aren't particularly long but they're very thick on the page they they look almost like prose the majority majority of them but i think as well other than the the denseness of them um it's 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 a self-awareness that um postmodernism does so well and this sort of um irony and humor that they have i mean she has so many um pop culture references like tucked in between really like um harrowing parts of poetry like her poetry there's um there's a there's a part where she's in um i think she's in a hostel and she's talking about being assaulted and she just you know i mean her whole her whole um collection is just peppa pig and mcdonald's and um i think it's in, in spite of that awareness it still it still almost gives you a romantic um image anyway but i think it's definitely a romantic image for our generation perhaps or um the the young people in in the 2017 are kind of um our kind of voice in poetry right now i think is um very reminiscent of how we feel as a a young culture how like in this world very very you know we don't quite fit in, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think I want to I wanna pick her up. I, this, I'm excited about your poetry recommendations, actually. And oh, good, good. The, the way you've described it, I feel already attached to, you know... Yeah, it's... I definitely felt like it was um, a voice that we almost all sort of have anyway. Like, I mean, I always read um, online news articles about how teenagers only ever communicate through memes nowadays. And that is completely true. <laughs> you know, there's more to us than um, I think poems like um, "I'm Very Precious," which is like um, Melissa's um, headline of "Sunshine." It definitely highlights that there's such a there's such a nuanced amount to us as um, a youth, especially when it comes to like identity and how we communicate with the world. Yeah, yeah, I think that. Um... There's something there about, like, that form of communication being misunderstood or the more, like, absurd forms of communication being misunderstood by other generations or, like, it's not as clear to other people when... Yeah, it's very, yeah. I mean, it's bizarre. I'm on the, like, tail end of that generation, you know? Like, I'm still keyed in in yeah. some respect but I'm about to be just like an old person soon <laughs> but I do get that like I know I have to like explain certain types of humor to or try to like it's almost inexplicable you... yeah yeah and I totally understand that every every uh, generation when they're teenagers obviously feels perhaps to some extent the way like people of our ages are, like, from yours to mine. But I think our generation, inexplicably with, like, the internet and, you know, the apex of, like, technology, you know, all that that goes with it, it definitely has sort of... It's created a different thing in us. And I think being the product of our grandparents and our parents, I think 
it does it does make our um our sort of expression completely unique yeah but, um yeah very it's very hard to um to place what i think about poetry in the now i hope that's that's a bit of an answer for you yeah no absolutely absolutely um this has been a really really good talk and i um wanted to ask you if you had something that you wanted to read gosh um yeah i'm just gonna quickly decide one or two i have yeah i'll go for um seeing as um, i mentioned melissa's um poem i'm very precious um i'll read my response to it which i wrote the other day um, but yeah, thank you, thank you for inviting me, and um, I'll just I'll get on with it. Um, yeah. It's just called um, um, Response to I'm Very Precious. Okay. There is a no man's land between my thighs, and apart from brush, there isn't sign of God ever having been there at all. Notice how in a war there is always a brief respite of peace. Holocene heretics will dance past the trenches and with their battered legs, linger and wait the trench foot. I had it once as I stood in a river, swallowed up the moment after a broken ice sheet redistributes itself. Boys wanted my pussy so hard sometimes, I'd tell them to put them in my mouth in the cold autumn air in the communal garden by the bee-friendly lavender. Well, that's what they told me afterwards, when I had two cups to spit into, one for toothpaste and one for cum. You know who I am, don't you? You know who I am when I arch my back and tilt my head. They all know. They've taken a picture so I'm lost longer. When someone tempts me, I tell them with me, I best them with me under the cover and tell them to choke, bite, hit me on the left side and I wait for the marks to appear on the right. If I don't come at the thought of them being inside my hollow dark, their wrists crunching against my windpipe as they near break at this angle, then I merely love the way they are to be around their friends with them. Wanting to be loved is like putting your little girl on a ghost train. I have a popcorn kernel in my cheek. I will click on it and click on it for comfort like a postcard from home. I've been on the front line of my own war for too long. I'm wrinkled like a washerwoman's hands, ready for a lion, witch and wardrobe to pull their trousers down and hammer until all the ice flat is gone. a bit blue isn't it <laughs> yeah but it's good it's really good and it's uh i mean thank you blue in several and several meanings but uh you know <laughs> philip red lust so i think that's perfectly fine uh and i really appreciate it um if you want to go ahead and um tell people where they can find your work how they if you have somewhere they can follow you keep up with it fantastic yeah um so if you're if you're privy to Joni Mitchell, you you understand the the URL. But it's my my poetry blog is constant as a northern star with an X at the end, and it's .wordpress.com, and that's where I um, every now and again when I remember, um, hopefully more in the future, to um, upload some stuff. All right, wonderful. That's great. Um, I'll go ahead and include that in the info for the podcast, which you can find in the details. Um, on iTunes or SoundCloud. And thanks so much for being here, Keely. I appreciate you talking with me. Thank you. I love talking about poetry, so I really enjoyed myself. Awesome. This has been The Witch Wife with your host, Samantha Mosca. Thanks so much for listening. And a special thanks to Unwoman for the use of the theme song, Witch Wife, off of her album, Blossoms, which you can find at unwoman.com. A huge thank you to Will Stenberg for the use of his song, Me and Edna St. Vincent Millay, off of the album, Eros and Error, which you can find at willstenberg.bandcamp.com. And last, but certainly not least, a huge thank you to the Millay Society for preserving Millay's work and her legacy. Please support the Millay Society at malay.org. If you'd like more content on Malay, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Witch Wife Podcast. And if you've got any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at thewitchwife at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Walking around through the smoke.